Hello and welcome to Archaeology Southeast Digs Deeper. I'm your host Emily and today I'm talking to one of ASE's longest serving team members about life as an archaeologist then and now and some of his research and outreach projects. It's Simon Stevens. Do you want to introduce yourself? I am, I am indeed, I'm Simon, Simon Stevens. Um, I first worked for Archaeology Southeast in 1992. Woohoo! Uh, yeah, don't. Yeah, how old were you then? <laughs> One year old. <laughs> oh, I can go off some people. And um, <laughs> then I worked little bits and pieces for Archaeology Southeast and went full time on the 2nd of January 1994, and I've been there ever since. Hooray! That's great. I think what we're mostly going to be talking about today then is like how does commercial archaeology or development-led archaeology differ from back in the early 90s when you started at ASE Um, and kind of where we're at now, like what sort of projects we're doing now and how that's been advanced by kind of the new digital age, I guess. I like the idea of pre-digital age. It wasn't all that long <laughs> <Sorry>. ago. <laughs> no, I mean, pre-the-internet-ish. <laughs> I just shake my head. Um, Sorry. To be fair, yes. I mean, here we go. We're going to have when I first joined and all this sort of stuff, you know, during all the war. All this were fields. Um, yeah. Well, it, well, it, well, it, <laughs> exactly. It, where I'm sitting was fields. <laughs> no, to be honest, it is different. There's, there's no way around it. I mean, certainly there are a lot of things we do now uh, well, this, for instance, I mean, technology yeah. is, is the main change. Um, I mean, again, I don't want to go back to when I first started, but it literally was, you know, you would measure out where you were in a field with a tape, mm. and you'd go, you'd go off to find a benchmark and then bring that in with a level. And then when you finish the work, you'd go and find a phone box to phone the office to say that you'd finished. My days. A phone mm. box. I kind phone of box. hadn't thought that you didn't, like, I sound like such a millennial, which I am, but I kind of hadn't thought that, mobile like not having mobiles and how that would affect people out in the field so what else has changed so communications i mean obviously uh, podcast listeners can't see but we're talking over zoom right now um something else i guess that's that's all quite new since you started is digital storage oh absolutely um well you know here we go again when i first started <laughs> we carried around two um slr cameras and you took uh, an old-fashioned plastic slide picture you know the ones used to go in the old the old slide projector yeah you go and pretend you remember them just to humor me come on we um, had like, oh yeah the ones that go like <laughs> right, yeah good noise good noise <laughs> so yeah so ridiculous those old horrible um plastic slides and then black and white contact prints oh yeah so literally you would then wait for those to be developed, they'd come back. If you loaded the camera wrong, you had a blank film. Not that yeah. that ever happened, of course, ever, no, of ever, course. never happened. Um, but now, of course, digital camera, Josh, Josh, mm. send it back to the office, job done. But yeah, the, the, the fact that you've got this, this um, instant record, which mm. you can then send on, oh, that's, that, that, that is completely different. Because again, if you're forgetting advice, if it's something like something you want dated or a, a, a sort of structure you want some sort of scientific approach to, was it off to the expert job done? They can, they can yeah. get back to you, in, in, you know, straight away and you, then you know what to do. So you've got that backup, which I suppose is, is, is what it boils down to. Is it fair to say that when you started in, in commercial archaeology, like how involved were the public? Like this is, I'm trying to get around to outreach basically. Um, like how much was that part of our remit to, to bring the archaeology back to the communities that we were digging Well, to be, to be honest, I mean, it wasn't long after the, the first sort of PPG 16 legislation had come in. So everyone was really finding their feet, let's be completely honest. 
Mm-hmm. And there had been always in the beginning this idea the public would be involved, but it's difficult, and to, to an extent it still is. If you're on a building yeah. site beyond a big hoarding and you've got machines trundling back and forward, it, yeah. it, there are real issues on how you get the public involved uh, on the ground or mm-hmm. you know, with, with, uh, with presentations or whatever. I mean, obviously, uh, presentations afterwards are great, but I think you need to do them relatively quickly after the site's been done. I mean, that's another yeah. issue, which, of course, now you can with the technology. But it's not something everyone wants to do, and it's something that I know people wrestle with, because giving presentations to the local historical society or even worse, the local archaeological society <laughs> or the, the local WI or whatever it is, it's a bit nerve They know too much. <laughs> well, this is it. Sometimes you're always going to get people in that room who, 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 who've lived next to the site for 50 years yeah. and who really will know... Will know and more about the, the more recent history than you ever will. And that is actually sometimes quite tough. And it's something I think every archaeological unit wrestles with in how to present to people, local people, if you like. Because let's be brutally yeah. honest, no one's going to read the average archaeological report because they're very, no. very, very dull. They're dry, aren't they? And I mean, they're supposed to be because mm. they're, they're supposed oh, yeah. to be an objective yeah. uh, understanding of the site. Yeah. They do, yeah, they do what they do. They, they, they are, as you say, they're, they're for the record, they're for the historic environment record, they're for yeah. that, that dot on the map for future development. But as you say, dry is the word, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I think like the digital age has given us those tools, hasn't it, to kind of bring, like to make archaeology a bit more jazzy and a bit more accessible. So we we do a lot of 3D modelling now of, of um, sites. So 3D models can really allow people to walk around a site oh yeah, sure as you say yeah you can do it safely and you know yeah. you, you can do the ridiculous thing that everyone always does 3d models is look, look at it from underneath which of course you can't do in reality yeah. first thing i was doing first thing, <laughs> what's the line underneath? um yeah. you know it's, it's no absolutely i mean that is, i mean i don't think it's an exaggeration so that that's revolutionized the way we present sites mm. because you know the old the old day when i would show you know a set of you know quite you know even then again dry is the words you, know, you can you can you it's better than nothing, but now when you can do the 3D modeling stuff and show how things work, you know, yeah. you can literally hear an audience go, "Ooh," and that's yeah. great. That, I mean, that if, if you if, if if you've got that again, it's backup. I suppose is the word. You've got that 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 toolkit. Okay, let's mm-hmm. use that phrase to use. That's brilliant. Mm, because obviously, once we've been through places, like mostly the the site, like that archaeology no longer exists. Mm. Our, our archaeology mostly is is recording by destruction, right? Absolutely. So, there will be there will be nothing physically left on the ground. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that in essence is why we're doing it. Is that that preservation yeah. by record thing to use the that's it. Preservation wonderful... by record. I was like recording by destruction. Yeah, yeah, that's no, not no, quite right. It was close. It was close. Close. <laughs> yeah, and so I think it's even useful. Like it's not just useful as an outreach tool. It's incredibly useful as a as a tool for archaeologists. Like oh yeah. Like trying to remember what you saw out on site six mm. months ago. Oh, I'll just go and look at the three D model and have a walk around. Um, the other outreach that I really want to talk to you about is your very exciting sciences. Am I saying sciences right? No, you're saying sciences right. The the sciences school outreach project it that is. you run. So I tell s- us a little about that. Uh, from from a slightly bizarre beginning, um, I was doing some research on the lads from a, a village called Newick in Mid Sussex uh, who were killed during the First World War because I'd seen right. the um, the plaque in the church which seemed to have a lot of people. And then I found there were a lot more people. And in the end, I discovered there were 53 lads that had gone from there and been killed. And so I did a lot of research on where they were from and through census records and stuff as to where they lived. And I came across a lad called George Page. George Page uh, was living in 1891 in his place called Stiances, Stiances Cottage. Mm -hmm. So I wandered around the village and tried to find it, and I couldn't. 
And I thought, well, hang on, there's something that's going to be a bit strange here. So I spoke to a couple of the local historians, a couple of, again, as we said about, a couple of local old fellows who would know far more than me. Yeah. And they said, well, go to the local, the local landowner, a fellow called Mr Slater. So I was arranged to go and see him, um, wandered down to his place, and um, he said, oh, yeah, I've got, I've got, you know, Stances, no, I've got a field called Stances. So immediately kind of alarm bell started to ring. We jumped at his Land Rover, off, off to it, and there's this, this large field, um, with what I could describe it as a big bump in it. Ah, and the big bump was uh, where, where exactly is where Stance's cottage was. And he then said, oh yeah, there, there, there was some fella around here a couple of years ago looking at these things, as, as an archaeological bloke. I traced this down, this archaeological bloke was, it was in the mid-70s, had come to look wow. at the site. <laughs> and he, he actually, there was quite a substantive archive of, of uh, a plan he'd made, which we then obviously updated with the digital technology. But he, he'd gone um, and looked at it, but nothing had ever been done. And what, in essence, you've got is a surviving, obvi- very obvious site of where the cottage was, which was demolished in about 1901, we think, and a mm-hmm. trackway leading up to it with house platforms. And, um, and he said, well, you know, you're an archaeologist, why don't you come and dig a hole in it? And I said, well, OK, we'll come and dig a hole in it. And then, you never, that had never happened. This is one of those fantasy no. things archaeologists say, yeah. and say, what? <laughs> And I probably, looked, I probably looked at him and went, what? An archaeologist <laughs> digging a hole in a field? What? what, what? <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. I was like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. And then we went, went, back to, went back to his house for a cup of tea. And his good lady wife uh, at that time was a governor of the local school. Uh-huh. And suddenly things started to gel, the school that my kids were at. And right. uh, t- to cut a very long story short, we then decided we'd dig some test pits in it. We've now done four uh, seasons there, a, a week-long archaeology week for the kids. Uh, well, basically, we take, well, let's get this right, uh, 230 kids between the ages of 4 and 11, and we put them in the middle of a field, and they dig holes, and they have a whale of a time. I and bet they do. And even better than that, we've actually got a very important archaeological site, because not only have we got this cottage, which we know from uh, some map work was there since at least uh, the 1740s, mm-hmm. but also the little track that leads up to it appears to be medieval in origin, because there's the uh, oh, house right. platforms on the side with, uh, with medieval pottery. And then to add to that, there's Mesolithic flint work there too. So wow. let's, let's, let's push it back 10,000 years while we're at it. Yeah. And that's all thanks to this outreach project. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I say we, we carry on doing it. Uh, funding is obviously a, an issue with it because mm. it, it doesn't grow on trees, as we know. Um, yeah. But um, in recent years, we've had all sorts of uh, sponsors. You know, the usual sort of uh, local ones are my personal favourite. We were sponsored one year by the Upfield Chiropractic Clinic. Which is the perfect nice. archaeological uh, yes <laughs> are they giving the... any free uh yes appointments? <laughs> no. no not that the kids need that the kids the, no. they, they, of course they're outside they're in the, they're, there's a, a system at school a buddying system where an older kid buddies up with a younger kid uh-huh. so they get to go out in the countryside with their buddy and run about and then go and dig a hole and find worms and 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 then ridiculously of course there's archaeology there too so they're finding the willow yeah. pattern pottery and and clay pipes and etc etc yeah no it's 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 grand and a long may we carry it on and um yeah we, we've, we've we've had fun with cows in the field and all sorts of stuff and, and oh yeah did and, the, the gazebos blow away last year yeah well two years actually we've had, we've had two lots of that yes i turned up one morning i thought sure we have one more tent than that and that was oh, it was no. it laying upside down in the next field which well, is a theme with outreach stuff we did stuff for the yeah. national national trust over at petworth a few years ago at petworth house i turned up there one morning and thought 
pretty sure we had a gazebo there. And it, oh, and, and no. it, was, it was 100 metres away, like upside down, <laughs> with all the stuff from inside it spread right across the landscape. It was uh, quite, quite impressive. So, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wind's not been a great fun of that. But anyway, but the kids love it. I mean, last year we had a massive thunderstorm. And I thought this is gonna this is gonna upset the kids. They're in this this now broken gazebo, so it's got no sides on it, and it mm. was hammering down rain. I mean, literally a proper storm, thunder, a proper lightning. The kids absolutely loved it. One of them out to me said that was just the best thing ever. Oh my god! <laughs> it's 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 a it's a wonderful thing to be able to do because the kids clearly do love it. And, and, mm. and, and it's a difficult one because, as you know, I'm not one to pat myself on the back, but it, it is one of those things that I'm happy to be able to do because the, yeah. the, the, they, they do really get something out of it. And so do yeah. we, because to be brutally honest, yeah. doing the commercial stuff, it can be a, a pretty soul-destroying treadmill. Mm. So were sciences cancelled this year because of COVID-19? No, we actually run it every three years. Oh, so okay. we, were able, we were able to skirt around that one. To be honest, we're looking to do some community stuff next year, which you may have to do, obviously, socially distanced. Yeah. But if we're doing test pits and pit like people's gardens, you've kind of got natural social distancing anyway, because it'll be just the family groups. So it's yeah, something we're right. gonna, we're gonna, it won't be at Sciences, but we're hoping to do something actually sort of further into the village. That's a kind of embryonic yeah. plan at the moment. But, but yes, okay. no, we, every three years, because that way the kids get to do it sort of three times at different stages in their, um, in, in their school career. Yeah. So, because you're back out on site at the moment, aren't you, for Archaeology yes, South East. Yeah. Yeah. So how has um, COVID-19 and the measures we've put in place to protect people affected that? Um, it's, it's peculiar, is the honest answer. Because, mm. you know, being very used to the first thing you do in the morning is go up to the machine driver and shake his hand. You know, yeah. you're going to do that, and then both of you are going, oh, no, hang on. Oh, no, like, yeah, stay back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I've yeah. been on a couple of sites down in uh, Gosport and down in Portsmouth where I've just been, it's been me watching a machine digging and recording what they're okay. finding and stuff. Machine, we mean like a digger, don't we? Like, Indeed. Yeah. I mean, and, and you're naturally social distance from that because if you're stupid enough to get too close to the digger <laughs> anyway, you're, yes. you're, you're going to you're, you're get, get the Darwin Award when it takes your head off. So, oh, so yeah, yeah. You, you are kind of naturally um, just by. I don't like to use the word common sense, but you know what I mean. Mm. You, you're not going to be that close to the machine. The other yeah. driver, the dumper, he, he'll be a long way away from you as well. Any other ground workers are, because you don't stand next to someone using a shovel or a pick unless, again, you just you yeah. want to get injured. So yeah. the, the sort of watching brief things that I've been doing, I've, I've been pretty much by normality socially distanced. But as I say, yeah. it's just that, just that weird thing of, you know, first thing in the morning, saying hello, you know, having a cup of tea. You, you're now not doing that together. You're doing it separately. Yeah, yeah. So you've been working on sites alone anyway. Yeah, so like yeah, we yeah. haven't had to socially distance from any of our team. No, we, we, I I was on site just when we came off, and we were doing that on a site up in um, in Surrey, where again we we had a nice big cabin. We keep socially distanced. Uh, you know, yeah. again, machine driving stuff. So we 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 started doing that before we we came off site. I mean, into, into right, the yeah. pro- proper lockdown, if you like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think again, I think UCL and certainly ASE's uh, uh, paperwork is as usually exemplary on it. We, we, we've mm. we've taken the lead and done it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it it, really it must know. have been quite difficult because you know, to be honest, there was no precedent for it. No, everyone at first was absolutely winging it. Let's be completely honest. And then yeah. it, and then and then we have put it into a a proper. Um, and I and I don't I don't feel at risk on site. I mean, I mean, getting back to my my longevity again. Yeah. You know, you know I, I am. I am. Twenty seven years. Yeah, twenty seven years, man and boy. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm 
at more probably arguably more at risk than most people but i don't feel worried by going to site because we have got the measures in place right that's really good yeah good I'll, stuff i'll be honest i wasn't quite sure how i was going to feel about going to work having been um been on furlough for a long time but it's yes it's, <laughs> yeah sorry to bring that up um, i've been quite jealous <laughs> yes no, it, it was a, it was a strange thing. It, it it was a very again with no precedent for anyone to know how you're supposed to feel about it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I in the end for me, I think I'm quite glad I wasn't furloughed because I think mm. I would have driven both myself and my partner, who's working from home, crazy. Mm. Uh, because I just would find it really difficult to entertain myself. I think for for three months or. Is it mid March. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I was off. But I was off basically two months. What the way two I months. got the way I got round it was having a, a fairly sort of set system of a time when I would do a bit of reading. I'd do a bit. Yeah. Of, I'd do a bit of painting me toy soldiers. I'd, I'd have. Yeah. I'd have. I'd have a you know a pretty set thing to do, and a nice, yeah. and a nice little doze in the afternoon. Nice little doze. Nice little doze. <laughs> <laughs> You've been looking after your plants as well. I yes. Think. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yes. <laughs> the, the garden. I've got sweet corn now. That it, this is this is good and high. I, I have nice. got, I, yes, yes, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And my peas, oh, they're a triumph. They're a triumph. Oh, <laughs> a triumph. well done. Yes, my daughter has already been around the strip the pea bush a couple of times, so that, that's a... Oh, I'm jealous. I just love doing that as a they're, child. They're far nicer uncooked. You would just spoil them by cooking them and eat them, eat them yeah, pod. Yeah, yeah, straight from the pod, yeah. Anyway, we should probably get back to archaeology. Uh, no, why? Why? <laughs> why? 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 I want to talk about iron smelting, Simon. You've got to let me. Peas <laughs> have well, got iron in. Peas have got iron in. Well then, there's our lovely link. So peas have Stop. iron in, and so do archaeological <laughs> sites. Simon, tell us about your research That's... with the Wielden Iron Research Group. That was absolutely <laughs> seamless. That was beautiful. It was, wasn't it? I'll make it sound really great in post-production. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> ah, the Wood Iron Research Group. Um, I kind of got involved with, with the iron smelting through um, an archaeological site. We are doing a site up in Crawley, and we found a, a bloomery furnace, or the very scant remains of one. And I got in um, Jeremy Hodgkinson, who was um, from the Wood Iron Research Group, to have a look at this to kind of confirm what we got and give me it again. Again... I wanted some tips on what I could do with it because of course in those days again couldn't send him a photograph he had to come and look mm. of course so getting back to our technology thing and to cut a very long story short I ended up uh, on their committee and now as well as um, um, basically again an education thing the World and Iron Research Group's aims are to educate people about, about uh, Wild and Iron um, we do experimentation we also do some excavation too because obviously I mean I live in the Wield yeah so the Wield Remind me and tell people who maybe aren't from around here, what is the Weald and where is it? The Weald is a, a geographical and geological entity which basically okay. sits um, between the North and South Downs. Uh, so right. you're talking about quite a large chunk of Sussex, a little bit of Kent, a little bit of Surrey and a little tiny weedy scrap of Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of elliptical I'm doing it with my hands. Really useful, really useful yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. That, isn't it? yeah, there you go. Um, elliptical is fine, elliptical. I think. Elliptical is a good word. It's a good word. It's yeah. broadly elliptical, and it's a set of, uh, in essence, um, it's, it's, it's a geological um, entity um, consisting of rocks laid down um, many, many millions of years ago, which by a strange, um, uh, not a fluke, but a kind of um, uh, just a, a facet of how it works, was a low marshy ground, um, and rivers running into it picked up sediment which contains iron. 
Just because we've all got iron, it's a naturally occurring element. We, both of us have got iron as we speak. And back to our peas mm. and everything. And spinach. Peas, yeah. Popeye spinach, of course. Um, yes. And this, um, this um, mineral deposition, which is called siderite, can be, uh, if you know what you're doing, uh, worked up and you can extract the naturally occurring sedimentary iron uh, and form the metal that we call iron for making whatever it may be from nails to arrowheads to, um, to horseshoes, whatever. So basically mm-hmm. the, the process which was discovered uh, in the Iron Age, there's a clue there. Of how to extract this um, then becomes a major widespread industry in the world which carries on for more than 2,000 years. Right. In in various in various ways. So it's so it's a massive and it's very much shaped the landscape of how the wheel looks and how the wheel works even to today. So there's a massive influence of I mean, understood and not understood. And lots of place names around here, places like Furnace Wood and Mine mm. Pit Wood. The way the roads work, the Roman road system here is based on, on moving iron products around. So yeah, you, you you've got a lot. Uh, going on in a place which now, of course, now there's no iron working here at all. You, no one would have any clue that mm, this this so area industrial. used to be. Well, absolutely, especially especially in the Roman period and then sort of in the Tudor period, it is a major major industrial centre to the extent that the Romans actually um, we think have an imperial setup, an imperial estate here to to exploit wow. the iron because it's that important to them. Well, I mean, Caesar mentions this. It's, it's one of the reasons the, the Romans come across in the first place. It's seen as, yeah, as a major, major, major draw and brings them across. Gosh. I didn't know that because I think, I think I knew about the tin in Cornwall being quite a big draw. I didn't mm. realise that the wield and iron had been such an important factor for the Roman occupation of Britain. Oh, yes, yeah, Caesar mentions it. A couple of Roman geographers mention it. it, 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 it it's, the, it's the real deal. Mm. We know um, certainly from the mid-Iron Age through... Um, the problem is we, we haven't got any, any it's difficult to date um, iron working sites closely because um, especially when there's no pottery um, that's been uh, deposited there actually the dating of, of the process itself is difficult because really all you do I say all you do make it sound like it's really really easy right um, yeah the bloomery process is it's got you, you get you take the iron ore the siderite this naturally occurring mineral you add charcoal, sometimes some other uh, minerals as well, and basically you heat it up to over a thousand degrees. Um, some wonderful magic occurs in the furnace, and if you're very, very, very lucky, out comes what we call a bloom, where the name for it comes from, which is basically a lump of iron, um, mm. and you pour off uh, the waste product called slag, of which there is very many tons um, for every bit of iron you get. You get many tons of this waste product, um, and on a very, very good day, you can then forge up that that uh, that bloom hammer a bit more of the slag that sticks to it off, hand it to a blacksmith, and then you've got your nails, your horseshoes, whatever it is. Yeah. Sounds very, right. sounds very, sounds very easy. Sounds very easy. Yeah, but you've not had such success, perhaps, in experimental archaeology? The, the... Sorry to... Is that the time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't mean to sass you about your ability to smell iron. No, no, smell I, 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 no, no, it smells, smells right. I don't know. Smells um, right. Okay. Well, the word in our research group, we've we, we, we got a sort of like a two-pronged uh, approach to this because the first, mm-hmm. we've got one furnace set up at a place called Pippingford where we do just pure experimentation to see what works and what doesn't work mm-hmm. with the access probably on doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you learn from your mistakes, I always say. You do, you do. To be fair, at, sure. at Pippingford, we're actually at the moment, we're... Um, we are going to rebuild the furnace we've got there at the moment because it's based on um, probably an Iron Age um, 
model that we found. Um, but we're rebuilding it to be slightly smaller into a more Roman style one is what we're actually okay. doing. We're actually going to do that. Because what I'd love to do, we're going to uh, dismantle the old furnace. And what I'd love to do is to actually cut it in half. I'd love uh -huh. to get the profile of what it looks like from the yeah. way stuff builds up. That would be brilliant. It'd be a bit difficult to do, but we are working on how to do it. Mm, but anyway, yeah, that, so, that, so informative for archaeology that you can see it would, how it, it would have been it and would what, be, what marks it leaves in the soil. Exactly, because what you then get, the, the slag, the waste product, builds up against the inside of the furnace because it, it drips down. <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing with my hands. I'm throwing the dripping down. Little, little uh, rain-making motions. Yeah, because bizarrely, <laughs> the, the slag, the waste product, actually is liquid. Right, it, yes, it gets that yeah. hot that the, the, the waste runs away. Uh, called tap slag it's so cool because you tap it out of the furnace literally okay, um, and it yeah. runs out and it forms little cakes of stuff that look like worms or what the, or what the kids like to call uh, iron poo because it actually looks iron like it does look like poo and that brings us on to the second bit which is the um, uh, the show smelts that we do we do a smelt basically where we're not trying to experiment we're just showing people what we do okay. and we do that over at uh, Wakehurst Place uh, in West Sussex where we've got an experimental um, smelter set up again that's based on an Iron Age uh, size one and then we fire that up for the kids. The kids operate the bellows to pump the air in. They love yeah. that sort of thing. And then they literally watch again as the slag pours out. We then we then uh, cool it down because it comes out. It, it, it literally yeah. comes out. Obviously, it's a bit hot. As we discovered when we started using it in plastic buckets. And strangely enough, you'd be surprised to hear Ooh. that uh, uh, the boiling water, because it, it spontaneously boils when you drop stuff into it, was melting the bucket and the slag was going straight through the bottom. Oh, no. so, so, so metal buckets were then used after that. Yeah, and, and, uh, experimental uh, yeah. archaeology, everyone. Steep learning curve, that one. I can assure yeah. you, very steep learning curve, that was. Because <laughs> um, as you can imagine, it's not the safest occupation, given the fact it involves oh. heating something up to over a 1,000 degrees and having, yeah. and having literally burning liquids pouring out the place. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. On the subject of health and safety, it, it is mm. all joking apart. It has to be done right and is the reason yeah, that during summer I've got no hair on either of my hands because <laughs> um, you've got to feed the stuff in somehow and the kids yeah. absolutely love this again and they get their unique souvenir we give them a bit of the slag they've made yeah so yeah they get they get they get a rather unique souvenir from this and again you explain yeah. the process and it's this wonderful thing you can show the kids of you yeah, literally here is a rock and here is the process that we use to turn that rock into into a spoon and you know, and, yeah. and, and that that that's great because you can show me it and tell me that. And again, it's it's because it's based on geography and geology and hydrology because you need you need to do it. You need um, the ore itself. You need charcoal. You need clay to make the furnace. All of which you, uh, you you've got in the wheel. You've got everything you need here. And of course, mm -hmm. water from the rivers. I mean, not so much for bloomeries, but later when they go on to blast furnace technology, where they're using water wheels, you need the mm -hmm. the local rivers of which there there is one. Two minutes that way here, which we know had um, uh, water mills and blast furnaces on it. So, right, were the water mills power the bellows? Uh, that's it. With the bellows and also hammers as well. Okay, uh, as part of the process. Oh. So, hence the term hammer and hammer pond, because you're you're holding back water yeah. to then run down and use. So, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. it's it's a weird thing again, which I, I I find very difficult to get my head around. You live in such a quiet place, hence the fact we could hear the birds a second ago yeah, attacking each other. Ago, but yeah. it would have been massively noisy. You'd have had bellows going, yeah. hammers going, flame going up, carts trundling yeah. back and forth, dragging stuff, grinding metal. It, it, it would be massive, smoky, smelly, sparky. Crazy. Yes. Oh, it is. It, it, and then you drive through it today and it's beautiful woodland. Of course, yeah, the woodland is there because of the iron industry. Got this, this legend yeah. that, oh, it uses up lots of timber. Yes, 
but the woodland is managed, it's coppice, so it can be used again. You don't just chop it down, you manage it so you can use it over hundreds and hundreds of years because yeah, yeah, it yeah. uses vast amounts of charcoal, vast amounts. That's amazing. Oh, the, la- the landscape is as it is because of the iron industry. You, you just wouldn't link the two together. You, you, you never would. That's so interesting. And I think that probably actually brings us nicely to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for telling me all about your 27 years with Archaeology Southeast and the uh, and the amazing Wild and Iron Research Group. I've learned a lot about the Wild today that I didn't kind of like had an idea, but I didn't really know. <laughs> you are more than welcome. No, it's, it's a hidden gem, a hidden gem. Yeah. Okay, thanks very much, Simon. Stay safe out there. I'm sure I'll see you in the office soon. Nice one, you take care. Okay, bye. We hope you enjoyed that episode of Archaeology Southeast Digs Deeper. You can find more information about the episode in the show notes or on our website at ucl.ac.uk forward slash archaeology dash south dash east forward slash podcast. For more archaeology content, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at ArcSouthEast and Facebook and Instagram at Archaeology Southeast. Thanks for listening.